Would you please pray with me? Father, we come before you this evening carrying a lot of need. But we're grateful because in this picture of Jesus giving himself freely, we know that our needs are met. And so with that thing that's true that we know in our minds settled deeply in our hearts, would you help us to see Jesus and to hear your word this morning? This evening, too. Amen. It's been a long time since I preached in the evening. So today is... Like Stephen said, one of those days where we contemplate one of those deep mysteries of the faith. How can a Monday be a Thursday? Monday, Thursday. I ask Stephen that question every year, and he never answers me. I asked his dad, and he made some joke about revoking my orders. No one will give me a straight answer. Tonight's the night where we think about when Jesus institutes what we now call the Eucharist. So we are going to talk about this mystery, about this meal that is at the center of our worship. What a strange thing that we celebrate a meal every week in our worship. There is obviously a lot to be said, much more than we can try to say in one evening, a whole lot more than I'm going to try to say tonight. Instead, what I want us to do is really just settle on one point, this connection between the Eucharist, this meal, and the Passover. So to do that, we need to review just a little bit about what the Passover was. So Israel, the Israelites, were slaves in Egypt, and they were slaves for 430 years. This is, again, this is an obscenely condensed version, but this is the the, the summary, right? After, or at the end of those 430 years, God calls Moses. He calls Moses to lead Israel out of this bondage, out of the slavery. So he sends Moses to Pharaoh to demand that he let Israel go. You all know the story. Pharaoh says no. God gives Moses some signs to do. He does the signs. Pharaoh's musicians? No, magicians. Copy the signs. Pharaoh says no again. So God starts this series of plagues. And each time, plague after plague, nine times, Pharaoh continues to refuse to let Israel go. Again, this happens over and over again, nine different plagues that God pours out on Egypt until the tenth one. God says he's going to pour out one final plague, and in that plague, all of the firstborn in Egypt are going to die. But it's going to be a plague that only falls on Egypt, not on the Israelites who are inside Egypt. He gives them away, right? A shelter. If they painted the blood of a lamb on their doorpost, that would mark their house. And if their house was marked with that lamb's blood, then death, which was going all over Egypt, taking the firstborn, would skip their houses. This was going to be the way that God drove Pharaoh to finally let Israel go. So even though death is on the loose in Egypt, for Israel, this means salvation. It means deliverance. And that's God's promise to them in this moment, on that evening. And so, with this being their last night together in Egypt... God actually gives them very explicit instructions for how they're going to spend that last night. It's a meal. So that same lamb that was killed so that blood could mark the doorpost so that they could have shelter, that lamb is going to be at the center of their meal. They're going to eat that lamb together. They're going to eat that lamb with bitter herbs because they're going to remember the bitterness of their bondage and their slavery. They're going to burn all that they can't eat because they're not going to carry anything with them. 
They're going to make unleavened bread, bread that wouldn't need the time that it takes for yeast to do its thing, right? The kind of bread that you would make when you're in a real hurry. And you're going to eat it quickly. You're going to eat it dressed for the road with your belt on and your sandals on and your staff in your hand. The point being, your deliverance is at hand. You're going to eat this ready to go because salvation is imminent. And then after they left, God told them that they were going to continue to keep this meal every year. It was a reminder for Israel that God had delivered them from bondage. It was a reminder to Israel that because of that, they belonged to him. But as time goes on, especially in times of trial, or when Israel has failed to actually keep their covenant with their God, and because of that, they've been handed over to their enemies, they're oppressed by their neighbors, maybe even in exile, this meal, if they were to keep it like they were told, would be a reminder to them that the same God who had delivered them from Egypt would also deliver them from whatever it was that they were mired in in that moment. In a lot of ways, that's kind of the position that the Jews in Jesus' time would have found themselves in. They are under Roman rule, right? So they are occupied by a foreign power. As they took this meal together, they would have been remembering, reliving, but actually participating in their ancestors' deliverance from Egypt, taking this meal together. But in all of that, they would have also been in hope, resting on the same promises that God had made to to Israel then, taking this meal together with the hope that God would deliver them yet again. And so you kind of have to wonder at this point what it must have been like for Jesus to have celebrated this meal every year at this point 33 times. Hearing this story of the blood of the lamb that ransomed Israel's firstborn, knowing that that story would be reversed because he, God's son, would be sacrificed for the redemption of God's people. Feeling the urgency, right? Talked about the urgency. You're going to eat this dressed for the road. Because he himself here is ready to lead his people into salvation, knowing that he himself is going to have a hard walk in front of him. Like You wonder what it would have been like for Jesus to hear this story, to read this story, to celebrate this meal, and to know that the whole time that he was actually the fulfillment of that meal and the fulfillment of the whole story that goes around it. knowing that the sacrificial lamb actually pointed to him, pointed to his own sacrifice, knowing that when he led Israel out of Egypt as a cloud or as a pillar of fire, that he was actually pointing forward to himself in this moment, leading his people out of slavery and bondage to sin and death. That's the thing that we have to remember here. The Passover pointed through itself and ahead of itself to something that was greater. And Jesus at this table with these people with this meal, is actually pronouncing that he is the fulfillment of all of those things. This meal with his disciples shows that the Passover has actually been fulfilled because now the ultimate deliverer has come. The one who will bring final salvation has come. Everything that the Passover and the whole Exodus story pointed towards is being fulfilled in front of them in Jesus. Now, even though this Passover has been fulfilled, obviously we know that the meal hasn't been finished, right? Because Jesus takes that meal, and in its fulfillment, in this new sense that he gives it, he tells his disciples that they're going to keep doing it, right? He doesn't say stop doing it because it's being fulfilled. In its fulfillment, it takes on new meaning. And so let's talk about what that is. 
And let's wonder together why. Why does Jesus, as really the last thing that he does with his disciples, give them a meal to repeat over and over again? It's a strange thing. But I think in a lot of ways we can summarize this with just one very simple thought. It's just the reality that the story is not complete. So the Passover has been fulfilled. fulfilled. Jesus is present. The ultimate deliverer is bringing ultimate deliverance. That doesn't mean that the entire story is now complete. The story has been written, but it hasn't actually been read all the way to the end. That's why the meal continues. In a sense, Jesus is saying, do this in the meantime, because his disciples and then all of us who follow find ourselves in what the the holy nerds like to call eschatological tension, stuck between the now and the not yet. Delivered, right, past tense, by the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which means no longer in bondage to sin and death, but at the same time in dire and urgent need of deliverance and salvation. That's the tension. Salvation has been accomplished. Jesus has bought it. He's won it. And yet we still need it. We live in that meantime. Right? It's not because there's anything that was lacking in the salvation that Jesus accomplishes. There's nothing lacking. But it is because the fullness of that salvation that's given to us still lies ahead of us. We still have to walk into it. And so in that tension, we face a lot of really confusing things. So we know that Jesus has conquered sin and broken its power, right? But at the same time, we still know that it torments us. All of us fold like paper airplanes when we're faced with temptation, even though the power of sin is broken. We're still broken and still battered by the effects of sin, even though the power of sin is broken. We still have to spend our energy fighting it, so we don't fold, only to eventually fold, even though the power of sin is broken. Jesus conquered death by rising out of the tomb, and yet we still die. He shattered all of death's power, but we still find ourselves afflicted by it. We face sickness, grief, loss, depression, anxiety, guilt, betrayal, disappointment, all these little deathlings that culminate in our, in our physical death, right? Even though death is defeated, we are actually a lot like Israel. We are freed from bondage, but this is kind of like how Israel has to wander in the desert. We're not yet in that promised land. So this is why we need this meal. We need the promises that it bears witness to. We need what God offers us in it. Now, I can't exhaust all of what he promises and all of what he gives us in just these few minutes, so don't assume that if there's anything that I don't mention, it's because it's not there. But I'm just going to give us four. Here are four things that this bears witness to, four things that God actually gives us here. The first one is that even though we still experience what feels like bondage and slavery to sin and death, just like the blood on the doorpost, Jesus' blood marks us as safe. So the very fact that we take this meal together, with this people who have been marked by Jesus' blood, it bears witness to the fact that God's protection over us cannot be compromised. It means that you are safe. As long as you're joined together by the Spirit into this body of Christ, nothing can touch you. 
Same thing that was true for the Israelites in that dark night when death was running loose. You were safe. You might not feel safe, right? And that's why we need it. You might not feel like you deserve to be safe. And all these things that we mentioned, like death or sickness or despair or grief, they're all actually telling you that you're not safe. They're telling you that you're weak and that you're vulnerable, that everything that you've tried to get from, for yourself could be lost in an instant. But this meal testifies to us that we belong to Christ. He's covered us. This is a security that sin and death cannot touch. So that's the first one. You're safe. The second one, we've already mentioned this. At this table, you can know that salvation has already been accomplished for you. And I'm saying that in the past tense. You have been delivered. So all those things that you long for, all the brokenness that you hope to see undone, the sin that is in your heart and in your life that keeps knocking you on your back, the unmet longings and the disappointments or the things that just choke your soul, the things that cause you to run from God's presence, deliverance from those things has already been accomplished because Jesus has already been broken for you. You may not feel it. You may struggle to experience, but it's done. And in the broken bread and in the wine that's poured in your cup, that's what's testified to you. Now join that one, the Deliverance has already been accomplished with this one, that the fullness of, fullness of your deliverance is in front of you, and it is near, that salvation is at hand. I think in a lot of ways, the sort of posture that we're meant to take during this meal is the same one that the Israelites were called to. You eat this meal dressed for the road, with your staff in your hand, in a hurry, fully dressed, fully packed for the road. What do I mean by that? I mean with the expectation that God is leading you into freedom and liberation, and he's doing it soon. I think for many of us right now, that's what this meal needs to remind us of. The deliverance is at hand. So that even if the fullness is in front of you, that there will even be glimpses of it that God will give you, foretastes of it now. Expect that from him, because that's what he promises you. I get this um, infuriating line from the Chronicles of Narnia. I forget which book it's in, where someone is asking Aslan to do something really soon, and he said, yes, but I call all time soon. Oh, it's infuriating that God doesn't do these things on the kind of timetable that we would like. But here's what this testifies to us. Sin might feel like a weight that is crushing you, but neither the bondage to that sin nor the guilt that comes with it is permanent. Because even now, Jesus is walking before you to lead you through and out of it. That's what it means for salvation to be at hand. Right? This sort of grief that seems interminable doesn't have the final word. Because Jesus is walking before you to lead you out of it. Whatever, the sickness that makes you feel anxious, betrayal that feels like it sucked the life out of everything, the disappointment that makes every other meal tastes like ash in your mouth. This meal bears witness to the fact that those things are not forever. And in the middle of them, here is Jesus, who is himself dressed for the road, ready to walk with you out of bondage and into new life. That's what it means for us to eat this meal the way that Israel was called to eat it. If you tie all of those things together, that you are safe, salvation is accomplished, but also the fullness of it is at hand, you can 
tie those three things together because of this fourth one, the one that we'll end with. At this table, you can know that Jesus is present with you because at this table, Jesus gives himself to you because this is his body that's broken. This is his blood that's poured out for you. This is his body that's gathered together around his body. And that's why we do this Sunday after Sunday and week after week. It's because we need his spiritual food to strengthen us in our doubts and weaknesses and fears in this meantime. It's because we need his reminders that this deliverance is already assured, that we are safe. It's because we need this testimony that his salvation is at hand, not cast off our some sort of abstract, distant future that we'll never arrive at, that his salvation is at hand. But above all, I know it's Thursday of this week, and so we're pretending that we don't know how the story ends, because he's not dead. And because he has ascended, but he is not distant. He's here with that same earnest desire that he had when he was with his disciples to share his table with us and to give himself to us. So this meal bears witness to us that he is present with us. And if that is true, then it is better to walk through every bit of the grief and darkness and shadow and sickness and shame and everything else that the world would throw at us. It's better to walk through those things with Jesus than to be anywhere else and without him. It's better to be in the boat with Jesus in the middle of a storm than to be anywhere else. That's what this table tells us. You know your deliverance is at hand because your deliverer is here. Your deliverance might not look like what you expect, may not meet your timeline, but he's here. And again, it's better to be with him in the storm than to be anywhere else. Now, there really is so much more that we could say about this meal that we can't go into today, about how when we take it together, we participate in heavenly worship. Big mysteries, right? about how God uses it to form us into the body of Christ. Another big mystery. But the thing that was heaviest for me as I walked through it this week, as glorious as those things are, was just the gritty but tangible promises that we need in the middle of everyday life. The reminder that in our deep need, he meets us. That where those meets are, he fulfills everything that we lack. That today is a day to say in our own utter need for salvation and deliverance, in our weakness and our helplessness before sin and death, to simply say that salvation has been handed to us. Not a salvation that we can earn for ourselves, one that we can't take, one that we can't make, one that we can't fake, one that we can only put our hands together and receive as a gift. Because we can only put our hands together and receive what he gives. At this meal, we get to actually put our hands together and receive him as he gives us himself. That's the hope that this meal bears witness to. That's the promise that we're given. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.